Thousands of worker layoffs across Twitter, Amazon, Meta, and other corporate giants have sent shockwaves across the tech sector and the broader economy as bosses exercise their dictatorship over workers. Is this a sign of a new dot-com economic crisis or recession? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week, thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the Socialist Program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. There's different elements of this story, Richard, that I think are really important. Of course, for now, what will be actually tens of thousands of workers and their families, the sudden loss of employment will be, you know, for many of them, just a complete personal catastrophe. For the economy as a whole, when you see this pattern of mass layoffs, not just at Twitter because Elon Musk took control and leveraged too much debt, but it's happening at Meta, Facebook. It's happening at Amazon. Amazon just announced, I think, a 10,000-person layoff. When you see it like that, then you have to come to the thought that perhaps there's a downturn coming, at least in the tech sector. You, Richard, have talked over and over again with us and elsewhere in so many different venues about the fact that capitalism has suffered three major economic contractions or recessions, depressions, call them what you will. That was the dot-com bubble burst at the beginning of this millennium. And then in 2008 and nine, the meltdown on Wall Street with millions of people losing their jobs and their homes, not just here, but around the world. And then the so-called COVID economic crisis. And you've made the point that this is a pattern, that it's typical, that it's part of capitalism. But I want to just get your assessment on this just to start the conversation. Is this conjunctural for the tech sector or does it portend something bigger? The only honest answer to that question is, I don't know. And let me do something I rarely do, and that is to speak for everybody else. They don't know either. In other words, Typically, when you're coming through a bad inflation, anything is possible. 
if your government responds to a bad inflation by raising interest rates, then the general consensus is that will produce unemployment across the economy. That's why most predictions hold that we will have a recession in 2023. That's less than two months from now. The only real debate is exactly when will it come, how long will it last, and how deep will it cut and hurt. The tech sector is suggesting it could be a doozy because they are literally now, for a week or so, announcing tens of thousands of people being given the worst of all possible Thanksgiving and Christmas season gifts, namely the pink slip, you're fired, go home, make do with a broken unemployment compensation system, try to cope with your children's upset. I mean, it's extraordinary. And I want to start with that. In democracy, anything that calls itself democratic really means, because this is what the definition has always been, that if you are affected by a decision in a democracy, the very fact that you're affected by a decision gives you the right to participate in making that decision. We get to vote for the mayor of our town, for the governor of our state, for the president of the United States, because we believe that since those individuals have power to make decisions of all kinds that affect us in very tangible ways, including life and death, because the president can send people into war if the Congress approves, or in in modern times, even if it doesn't. And so we have the right to vote. We have influence over a right to have a, a say in the decisions that are made that affect us, except in the workplace. And that's capitalism. Capitalism tolerates democracy as long as it stays away from the factory or the office or the store. When you're a worker in any of those places and you cross the threshold each morning to go into work, you are entering a space where a tiny group of people, totally unaccountable to you, You don't elect them. You cannot punish them. Nothing. And they can make a decision to use this technology to produce that commodity, to move production over there. And then they take the profits, which everybody helped to produce, and they decide alone what to do with them. And then the ultimate. They can decide to take your job take your income, and plunge you into unemployment. In other words, they have enormous power over you, enormous impact their decisions have on your life, but you are denied any effective power over them. The only thing you can really do is quit, take another job where the overwhelming likelihood is you'll find exactly the same situation. It is extraordinary. It's why a percentage, unfortunately very small in this country, of working people form unions, because the union has a little more of an impact on that employer 
whereas you as an individual have none. This is not democracy. I mean, the fact of the matter is capitalism organizes workplaces to be split between a small group at the top, we call them employers, and a large group underneath them, we call that employees. And that arrangement is not only not democratic, it's the antithesis, it's the opposite of democracy. And all we're seeing now is the ugly face of the dictatorship that exists inside any workplace. Mr. Zuckerberg at uh, Meta, or Mr. Musk at Twitter, or whoever's in charge at Amazon, or any of the others that you mentioned, they can decide either by themselves or with a tiny group of people comprising the board of directors of their corporation, that your job is over. It's extraordinary that they have such unaccountable political power. It violates all the commitments. It means, if you understand it, that the next time a politician, any of them, from president on down, talks about, quote, our democracy, end quote, the proper response of an intelligent citizen is, what are you talking about? There is no democracy in our economy, in our workplaces. We have banned it. We have excluded it. If We have rejected it. And the reality of it is playing out in front of us every day. It's so important, Richard, that you keep emphasizing this point. I mean, human beings who are living in contemporary society, and that's all of us, we maybe spend a third of our life asleep. We spend a third of our life at work. And then a third of our life, if we're lucky and don't have two or three jobs, maybe we have some time to rest and to take care of family affairs to do dishes, to get food, to eat food, maybe to have some recreation, but a big chunk of our life, of our waking life, that would be one half of our waking life. We're at work. And during that time period, we are living, and I think every worker knows it, we are living in a dictatorial economic and social order because Obviously, workers don't have any real power, especially over the big decisions, like, are you going to continue to work there? Now, I think that's important because when we heard about how social media engineers, say Twitter engineers or meta engineers, people who were very highly skilled, highly educated workers, they had very high salary jobs. They, in the cases where Amazon set up its offices or Twitter or Meta, it drove housing and rental prices through the roof because landlords could get more from this part of the working class. They were very trained and they probably, many of them didn't think of themselves as workers. I know there was organizing drives, union drives going on among tech sector workers and many tech sector workers want to be in unions, but others may have thought, well, I'm not a worker. I'm, I don't need a union. And yet when the decision comes to get rid of the workforce, and in the case of Amazon, the 10,000 who are being let go this week or in the coming week, most of them are considered corporate employees, meaning in the office, 
not the Amazon warehouse workers who are pickers and packers and who are running around warehouse floors and in the case of pickers, picking 12 or 1300 items for an eight hour shift and just racing, racing, racing and having all of your, your sort of motions monitored for quality control and time control. These are more quote, privileged workers. But no matter how privileged a worker is under capitalism, that privilege can be taken away by the dictatorship of capital. And the reason I want to emphasize this a little bit, because when we think about the stratification of the working class, that some have more, some have less, very, very important from an organizing strategy. If you're not the owner, you are an employee. And if you are an employee, no matter how educated you are, how privileged you are, how high your salary might be, you are nonetheless a wage worker. And it takes me back to the Communist Manifesto written by Marx and Engels when they were young men, 27 and 26 years old, respectively. They write in the first chapter of the manifesto, the bourgeoisie has stripped of its halo every occupation hitherto honored and looked up with reverent awe. It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science into its paid wage laborers. Now, if they were noticing this as a trend in 1848, here we are with these living examples of this reality, Richard, in 2022. Yeah, let me underscore it in yet another way by giving an, a parallel example. There have been in history, and I'm sure there are a few left, parents, likely more the father than the mother, but it could be both of them or, or the mother too or by herself, who look upon the family as a dictatorship. In other words, that the family, you do what I tell you, when I tell you, how I tell you, you don't give me any lip, you don't disregard what I'm saying, I run this place. But even in the family, the law of the United States says you cannot fire your children. You can't. That's called child neglect, and the law punishes parents who can be shown in a court of law that they have neglected. They haven't properly fed, they haven't properly clothed, they haven't provided medical care, and so on to their children. And we have cases like that in the courts of the United States as I'm speaking. You can't fire your children, but we allow the employer to fire, fire the parents as if that were not somehow as dictatorial or worse than what those parents might then do, hopefully not, but might then do to their children. So don't tell me we can't prevent it. Sure, we could prevent it. We could say that no employer can fire an employee, deprive him or her of a job, without a whole host of committee meetings to have, opportunities for the worker to defend himself or herself against whatever the accusation is that led to the firing, if it's purely to make more money, that maybe the employer is not free to do that, you kind of wonder why billionaires who run and own Twitter now, or who run and own Amazon, or who run and own Meta, 
billionaires coming up to the Christmas holiday, which is literally a few weeks away, had to fire those workers now. That is in the interval between now and Christmas. Really? If all those workers had been kept on a few more weeks, wouldn't have affected your billions in a significant way at all. Easy to show that. Not an issue. But it is so ingrained, this dictatorship, that like many dictators, the CEOs of this world think of themselves as having, in some God-given way, the power over other people that, as I say, mocks the whole notion of democracy. And if I could, Brian, as a professional economist, there's another point that I'd like to make here. When people who make an awful lot of money, businessmen like Elon Musk and, 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 you know, Jeffrey Bezos, all of them, when they're asked, how in the world do you justify the enormous wealth you've accumulated by collecting into your hands profits? Profits that are, after all, the fruit of what everybody in your enterprise does. It's not just what you do that makes for the profits. Very often, here's the answer that comes back. I take risks. We're supposed to stand in awe of the businessman or woman, the entrepreneur who has risked his or her money. We're not supposed to ask where they ever got all that money in the first place. We're just supposed to say, gee, you invested it. You took a risk in making a building an electric car, or you took a risk in uh, building out a delivery system or whatever it is. And so that's your, your reward for taking a risk is your profit. If you happen to work in the company that you invested in, you get a different sort of income. You get a wage or a salary for doing work. Okay, keep that in your mind as I tell you why that's crazy. Workers, employees, also take risks. I'm going to use myself as an example. When I got a job offer, I sat down with my wife and we discussed, I have two children, Should I take this offer? Can I take this offer? Should I stay with the job I have? On the one hand, this new job is XYZ, and the other hand, it's LBJ, right? Whatever it is. And I made a a decision. I took a risk. I left the job I had to take another job. What was the risk I was taking? That the company to which I was moving the employer to whom I would now be an employee, he could make every kind of mistake. He runs the business. If he screws it up, if he makes a mistake, if he's overwhelmed by the social conditions, one of the things he's free to do is to fire me, which he has done in the past and which I have to assume. So I took a risk going to work for him, just like I would have taken a risk if I'd gone to work for anybody else. I asked my wife to move with me. She lost her job and had to take a new job, and that lost her seniority. I asked my children, who were high school students, and wanted desperately to stay with their friends, who are now their real social associations, helping them grow up. 
and I was tearing them up. We all took immense risks that it would work out, that the employer we moved to would be better for us. We had no control. You know, the entrepreneur who invests by lending money to a company or by buying shares in the company, then, if he's a big guy, has lots of influence on that company. He can at least somehow influence the outcome of the risk he's taking, but not the worker. The worker moves from job A to job B. He's taken all the risk, has no control at all over the basic decisions in either job. He's taking the risk with no control. And what does he get in the way of profits? Nothing. Nothing. He gets a wage just like the investor would get a wage if he did work. The worker gets a paid for his work. He is never paid for his risk. So when the employer says, I get a piece of the profit because I took a risk, my answer has always been, and look how stark it is now as tens of thousands of people suffer the whip of the dictator CEO. My answer is this. Don't talk to me about profit as a reward to the risk you took. If you really mean it, there'd be rewards to all the workers. They would get a cut of the profits because they took risks too. If they hadn't taken the risk, you wouldn't be making a lot of money, Mr. Entrepreneur. They needed the capital you bring, forgetting again the question, how'd you get that money? If you're risking your capital, they're risking their whole lives. They don't get any profit. Therefore, for the risk you take, Jack, you don't get any either. Only that would be fair. What we have now is the grossest unfairness in which the capitalist uses this empty argument about risk, even as he denies to the worker any compensation for the risks that workers take, and then it gives them the ultimate insult. Not only are you getting no profits for the risk you took by coming to work here, but I'm firing you. So you're not going to get income from your labor anymore either. I want to stay with this issue of risk. And I think it's very important for working class folks, for young people, people who are learning about socialism, who are learning about Marxism, learning about what it means to be class conscious, which actually means to be actually aware of what's going on in society, which Marxism promotes class consciousness, the idea that classes exist, that there are exploited and exploiters in the economy, that we have to think of the workplace and society in that sort of filter with that prism that there's exploited, an exploiter class, the capitalist class, and an exploited class. That is, everyone who has to basically sell their ability to labor, to work, to someone who will hire them so that they don't go hungry or so that their kids don't go hungry. So you have exploiters and exploited. Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, who announced the the layoff, the loss of 10,000 jobs in the last couple of days, Jeff Bezos is worth 
$1.24 billion. And a billion is a thousand millions. So he has a hundred of those, 124 of those. He's announced that by the time he dies, Richard, by the time he dies, he intends to give away all of his, quote, wealth, all of his wealth. Now, Amazon has 1.2 million workers globally. During the COVID crisis, when it started in February, March 2020, and throughout the rest of the year, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, went on a hiring spree because people could not and did not want, it was not safe to go to brick and mortar stores to buy things. So they started ordering in record numbers from online shopping distributorships like Amazon. So Amazon in the year 2020, because of COVID, hired 427,300 new employees. Just remember that everybody, almost 500,000 workers were hired by Amazon during COVID because Amazon's business was booming because people couldn't go to the store or they were afraid to go to the store. Those numbers equate to hiring about 1,400 new workers every day. That's what happened in 2020. And as a consequence of what happened in 2020 during COVID, Amazon became the fifth largest employer in the world. Now, of those workers who went to work every day, 427,300 of them who were added to the employment role in 2020, they were taking a risk every day. They were taking a risk every day because they could have gotten COVID. They could have brought COVID home to their family, to their children, to their grandparents or parents. They took this enormous risk. And if they didn't come to work, Richard, Jeff Bezos, if those workers didn't come to work, let's say they were sleeping, you know, Jeff Bezos would not have made a single penny during 2020. If Jeff Bezos had been sleeping through the entire year 2020, nobody would have noticed. But if those workers were sleeping, if they didn't come to work, Amazon wouldn't have accomplished anything. There would have been no wealth, no profits. Anyway, I really want to, I think it's so important what you're emphasizing that the risk, and we can see risk all around us, especially during COVID, it was a boom time for Jeff Bezos. His wealth almost doubled. And now he can say, well, profits aren't what they were. So I'm going to just let 10,000 of those workers, and maybe there will be 100,000 more who will lose their jobs, and it's his decision. Anyway, I'll give you the final word. I agree with you, and, and one of the things that has irked so many Americans shows that somewhere they know. They know about that dictatorship. Here's how I know that they know. A lot of the CEOs have made a decision, not all of them, because it's a very far from a settled matter. But some CEOs have decided that as far as they're concerned, they want their employees not to work remotely, not to work from home. They want them to come in to the office or the store or wherever it is they work, five days a week, 40 hours a week, all the rest of it. The workers don't want to do it. They don't want to do it for a whole host of reasons. First of all, the message about where COVID and variants of COVID are is very mixed. 
We are not out of the woods. The plague is not over. And you don't want to be the one who comes down with the variant for which the vaccines don't work. And that's been demonstrated already. But there are other reasons. You're a parent. You have young children. You can't afford on what you're paid daycare for those children. So working from home allows you a kind of half supervision of your children or of anyone you might hire a youngster to work with your children. So daycare, crucial missing element of American culture for the working class is keeping other people home. And then there are the people whose transportation issues, who's care or are caring for elderly, who have physical ailments. There ought to be a reasonable way to make a claim that you ought to be given a chance to work remotely, with or without COVID, but certainly more so with COVID. And yet there isn't. There's no association you can go to, really. There's no public committee or public agency. In most cases, in most cases, the employer can command you, and if you don't go in subordination, you can be fired. And that's true if you have a union in many cases, or if you don't. Better to have one, obviously, but even then, no protect. You are in a dictatorship of the capitalist class. One of Marx's greatest insights was to help us understand it. And I think most Americans, as I said, know it. That's why we can see it, in fact. It's why when you walk home from your job and you pass the neighborhood bar, it has that sign in the window that I keep reminding us of, the sign that says, happy hour, because they know in the bar, like you do, that the hours before you got to the bar weren't so happy. And that's a reflection of the fact that those hours were spent in a workplace dictatorship. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com, R-D-W-O-L-F-F com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.